Chapter 2. Making a Quick Stop Almost an hour passes before Fontaine Casper can hear the rumbling engine of a beat-up pickup truck gingerly making its way down Beachgate Road toward the house, weaving in and out of front yards along the road to avoid dozens of parked cars cluttering the street. Miko carefully navigates the deserted area with calm precision as she finally pulls up in front of Fonte's house and parks the still-running vehicle. Well, 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 look who decided to come back after all, Casper. Guess you won our bet, big fella, Fonte says cheerfully as he tosses a chunk of his meal bar to the dog who snatches it out of the air with eager enthusiasm. Exiting the cab of the truck with an impatient smirk on her face, Miko just rolls her eyes at her new companions as she points a thumb over her shoulder toward the bed of the truck. You got anything to put in this truck, Romeo, or are we just going to sit here and make jokes all day? Unable to withhold a smile from his face, Fontaine simply mimes zipping his mouth shut and begins loading the truck without further comment. Twenty minutes later, everything from clothes, canned food, MREs, and water to survival gear, a small electrical generator, guns, and a first aid kit were loaded in the back of the truck and ready to go. After performing a quick inventory check to make sure nothing of necessity was left behind, Fonte decides to perform one last action before leaving. Quickly retrieving pen and paper, Fonte jots a quick note for his family to find just in case any of them shows up here looking for him, wondering where he is and if he's still alive. After finishing the short message and taping it to the front door, Fonte locks the house up for what feels like the last time and reluctantly hops into the truck with Casper. Eager to get off this street with all the noise they've been making, Miko wastes no time throwing a truck in the drive and pulling off down the street, heading southward. Navigating the cluttered streets of the neighborhood proved to be a lot easier than traveling the main roads of the city by comparison. Simply being able to drive the pickup truck through the wide-open front yards of each house instead of driving on the road makes circumventing obstacles much less annoying. It allows Miko to drive faster than five miles an hour instead of having to stop and go the whole way due to the constant course corrections needed to get around the abandoned cars still on the street. To Fonte, everything is all still so surreal. The further away from his house he gets, the more he feels his anxiety building as he observes more and more cars literally stopped in the middle of the street without drivers or passengers, as if people who had been driving them were suddenly snatched away by aliens or something. Everywhere he looks, he sees empty houses with no signs of inhabitants or life of any kind, and it isn't until he looks at the pale faded sky of stilled clouds above him that the gravity of the situation finally begins to set in on him. There is no way this was a terrorist attack. A terrorist attack would have at least left bodies behind. Whatever caused this, it was something, Fonte says solemnly as he trails off, unable to find the wording to complete his thought. Much worse, Miko says gravely as she finishes his sentence for him without taking her eyes off the path in front of the truck. Nodding in agreement, Fonte turns to face Miko in the driver's seat with his eyes full of concerned inquiry. So back at my house, you said you've been out here for about a month, and I'm the first normal person you've come across in that entire time? Other than my father, yes, you are the first person I've come across who hasn't been a crazy person determined to rip my throat out with her teeth, Miko replies in the same graven voice. I hope you're going somewhere with this train of thought since I already told you this back at the house, and I really hate repeating myself. Letting his eyes drop from her face for a moment, 
Bonte quickly considers everything he knows so far and begins to theorize possible explanations in his mind. After a few moments of silent travel, he returns his gaze to her face and speaks once more as Miko turns the vehicle eastward toward a main road. Okay, so let's assume, for the moment at least, that we're the last two non-crazy people left in the world who haven't vanished. Understanding that as the premise, I'm thinking that instead of trying to figure out why everybody has vanished, maybe we should try and figure out why we're the only ones who didn't vanish or go crazy like everybody else that we've run into. Letting her eyes leave the path in front of her for the first time since their departure, Mika looks at Fonte with obvious curiosity. How do you propose we do that, Romeo? Well, we could start by comparing every single detail of our timelines and seeing what they hold in common. That will give us a starting point of reference for the situation we're in, at least, Fonte says with assurance as he continues. So let's start with the basics. Where are you from? Toledo, Miko replies dryly. Okay, so we're born natives of the same state, so that's one thing in common. When did you get to Columbus? Before or after the vanishing? The vanishing, huh? Kind of a catchy name, Miko says stolidly. But to answer your question, I got to Columbus after the vanishing. I left Toledo when my father died. That's when I learned how bad the situation really was. Hmm, Fonte says thoughtfully as he considers her response. That probably means it's safe to assume every other city in the state is in the same situation as Columbus and Toledo then. That would explain why no relief effort has been able to reach us yet. Any relief effort would take time to make a difference on that scale. If there even is a relief effort, that is, Miko says with the same grave tone of disheartening certainty, that Fonte was coming to understand as her default tone of voice. Ignoring this response, Fonte continues with his line of thought. Do you remember what you and your father were doing before the vanishing and the blackout and all that? Taking a moment to consider the question, Miko recalls her memories of the events prior to the vanishing as she reaches the main road and turns left out of the neighborhood onto the pavement heading northward. I wasn't doing anything special. I fell asleep in my room after getting uh, some homework done and taking a shower. I don't exactly know what my dad was doing before everything went to shit, but he was home when I got home that Saturday night. I remember it was Saturday night, too, because I was surprised to see him home and not out at his buddy Larry's for poker night. As far as I know, he passed out drunk on the couch like always, but I don't know for sure. We never really talked about uh, his itinerary that night since it seemed of little importance at the time. Now that they're on the main road... Fonte immediately sees multiple car pileups involving what looks like over two dozen cars blocking both sides of an upcoming intersection as they approach at cautious speeds from the south. Using his aptitude for deductive reasoning, Fonte quickly concludes that whatever happened to make everyone disappear had to have happened almost instantaneously while everyone was still in motion, forcing the vehicles to cascade into one another as a result. To him, it looked like a massive pileup of car-sized dominoes have been mashed up and laid out up and down the street in a disorderly fashion that was very disconcerting to observe. All around him, more and more evidence of people's disappearance becomes visible as he notices piles of clothes and miscellaneous possessions like watches, cell phones, and other such things littering the sidewalks where individuals once stood the instant before they literally disappeared into thin air. The realization that this new reality isn't just a bad dream suddenly hits him hard and sinks in with definitive despondency. I think I know why we didn't vanish like everyone else, Fonte says somberly as he continues to survey the surrounding area without saying anything further. 
Well, are you waiting for a drum roll, or do you care to share this wonderful new theory with the class, Mr. MIT? Miko says incredulously as she swings the steering wheel counterclockwise and swerves the pickup truck onto the sidewalk where there was more room to navigate the wreckage safely. Think about it. What do we both have in common as the possible last two humans alive left in Ohio? We can remember what we were doing before the vanishing and what came afterward, but during the actual vanishing itself, we've got zero recollection of anything that transpired. Why do you think that is? Fonte responds without returning his gaze to her face as he keeps surveying the ghost town around them in disbelief. Hearing the question posed so simply and directly made it so Miko needed only a fraction of a second to come up with an answer, an answer that felt right even though it was only a theory at this point. We were asleep, she replies with sudden comprehension. Wow, I can't believe my father and I never even considered that as a possibility. Well, from the sound of your story, you guys had your hands full just trying to stay alive, so I don't think anybody's going to hold it against you, Fonte responds with a half-hearted chuckle. Do you always have to be a smartass? It's a gift, beloved, and considering that I might be the last man you see for a while, you might want to appreciate it since it's one of my most endearing qualities. Fonte retorts with a little cheerful smugness creeping into the tone of his voice. This immediately draws an eye roll with dramatic emphasis for Miko as she continues making her way toward her shelter. Content with the situation, as he concludes, there are no immediate threats from his perch in the back seat. Casper decides to lay down as Miko comes to a stretch of road where there's minimal traffic congestion and she returns to driving in the street. Hey, you mind making a quick stop real fast? My brother's friend Jacob lives right down that road, Fonte says, as he points to a street off to the left of the road they were currently traveling on. I just want to run down there and check to see if maybe he's hiding out there or something, since that's who he was with the last time I saw him before the vanishing. It'd only take me about 20 minutes tops to run down there and see. Glancing out of the driver's side window and doing her best to quickly gauge the position of the dull bronze-colored sun, she quickly determines that there's plenty of time to stop so he can satisfy his curiosity. Okay, just remember that time is funny out here these days. Even though it seems like it's mid-morning or early afternoonish right now, that doesn't mean that time won't slip forward, making 15 or 20 minutes suddenly turn into five or six hours. I've seen half a day slip by in the blink of an eye, and it's not fun at all if it leaves you stuck in the dark when all the crazies really come out. So please, hurry up. Aw, you sounded like you actually cared for a minute. You're not getting soft on me already, are you? Fonte responds with a satirical smile as he continues and tries to lighten the mood. Ignoring this question, Miko spots a nice covert spot to park off the road and immediately guides the truck in that direction with her masterful skills in automobile maneuvering. Do you want me to come with you and hold your hand? Are you okay? Fonte can't help but laugh out loud for a moment as he looks at Miko with his big, bright eyes and gives the cockiest smile he can muster. Shockingly to Miko, she couldn't help but notice how adorable that smile was. Oh, so you got jokes, huh? He says, still smiling as he removes a chrome forty-five caliber pistol with a pearl handle engraved with a Chinese dragon from his back waist. Don't worry, I don't need you to hold my hand, sweetheart. I'm not expecting any trouble, but if I find some, I'll be ready this time. Besides, like I said, it won't take me long. I bet you say that to all the ladies, Romeo. Miko retorts with a teasing smirk of her own. But on second thought, I think I should come with you anyway. There'll probably be more supplies worth scavenging and bringing back to my hideout, and it would be dumb to pass up the opportunity just sitting here doing nothing. Having no reason to object or disagree, 
Fonte nods and flashes another cheesy smirk in Miko's direction as she pulls up to a nearby street corner, throws the truck in park, and then turns the ignition on. With the streets being so cluttered, full of immobile vehicles, it makes more sense to make the trip down the road on foot rather than wasting time trying to maneuver in and out of car clusters that would just eat up precious fuel. So together with Casper, the two of them exit the vehicle, each armed with their own firearm, and proceed to venture down the vacant and lifeless street of Ashcroft Road, side by side. After ten minutes pass, they reach Jacob's house and find it just as empty and vacant as everything else. Discouraged but not defeated by this discovery, Fonte again leaves a note for his brother, just in case he happens to come back. With that done and out of the way, he then helps Miko scavenge more supplies from the house and uses a wheelbarrow from a shed in the backyard to transport everything they gathered back to the truck. Once they're back at the truck and everything is loaded up, everyone hops back inside the vehicle as Miko fires the engine up, throws the transmission in the drive, and pulls off traveling northward again. Together, the new companions travel several minutes before Fonte feels obligated to break the uncomfortable silence that had been looming over them since they left Jacob's house. What if this isn't over? Have you thought about that yet? Like, what if the person or thing that caused this is only getting started? Fonte asks curiously. What do you mean? Miko replies as she continues driving through the cluttered streets. I mean, what if whatever caused everyone to disappear happens again while we're awake? What if it's only a matter of time before we vanish too? What are we supposed to do to protect ourselves against something like that? He replies with a hint of melodramatic despair. Miko simply shrugs. I don't know. I guess there's nothing we really can do until we find out what caused all this in the first place, which is something I doubt we'll be able to do since we've got no idea where to even begin looking for answers. Fonte has no immediate response for this as he turns his gaze out of the passenger window and thinks to himself. A long moment of silence fills the truck again until Miko speaks once more. You know, I hate to be the one who has to ask you this, but have you thought about preparing yourself for the reality that your family might be gone like everyone else? No, I haven't, and at this point, I refuse to even think that way until I know for sure, especially since I haven't found any evidence to suggest that my family's gone yet. So as far as I'm concerned, there's still a chance of them being alive for now. He responds with an edge while still gazing out the passenger window. Taking a moment to consider his words, Miko does her level best to reply with as much empathy as she can muster, which was more than she thought she had at this current time. But at the same time, her response still came out sounding more annoyed than she intended it to. Again, I hate to be the one who's got to say this, but I don't think it's a good idea to get your hopes up. Because think about it. If your family didn't vanish and they managed to survive like the rest of us, why wouldn't they go home to find you and the rest of your family? The question forces Fonte to stop gazing out of the passenger window as he turns to face Miko and responds somewhat harshly. Realistically, anything could have happened to prevent them from getting home if you think about it. Maybe they got attacked by a bunch of crazies and they had to go into hiding to avoid getting ripped apart like your dad did. I don't know, but until I do, I refuse to believe anything other than my family is alive no matter how discouraging the circumstances appear to be. Hearing her dad's fate described with such a stark demeanor made her wince with sadness a little bit, but she care, but she's careful to let no signs of emotion show on her face, even though the edge in her voice is unmistakable as she replies. Suit yourself then. To be honest, I'm more concerned with finding out how all this happened in the first place, so don't expect me to keep risking my life to be your taxi on this wild goose chase of yours forever. There's bigger fish to fry at this point, and if this partnership is going to be useful to either of us in the future, you should remember that, Romeo. 
she says with an audible sharpness in her voice as she turns the truck onto another road. Now feeling remorseful for the callous delivery of his words, Fonte tries to apologize for his insensitivity. Look, Miko, I didn't mean, he starts to say. Don't. Miko quickly interrupts him before he can continue. I'm a big girl, and it takes more than one inconsiderate remark about my dead father to get under my skin. Besides, I was kind of insensitive about the situation with your family first. So let's just say we're even and move on, okay? Figuring it to be in his best interest, not to push the conversation further than that, Fonte simply nods with his eyebrows raised in understanding before responding. Okay then, good talk. Glad we were able to have a real bonding moment here, he says with the most charmingly sarcastic tone of voice he could muster. From there, they ride the rest of the way through the deserted city toward Miko's shelter in silent thought as they both contemplate what the future could possibly hold for them. Unable to keep his thoughts from circling around the whereabouts of his mother and brother, Fonte struggles to accept the possibility that he may never find out what happened to them. The question of what he'll do if he finds out that his family is gone is a question he quickly finds that he cannot answer with complete honesty to himself. Would he be able to resign himself to the solitary nomadic existence that Mika has been forced to endure all this time? He didn't think he would. But then again, who knows what he'd be capable of in the future after enough time passes. Anything was possible, he supposed. He just hopes he never has to find out.